This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Now Adam, you've told me that you're feeling a little bit rough. It does sound like you're feeling a little bit rough. Um, Are you okay? Are you going to survive the next hour or so? Or are you going to keel over in some sort of fit of illness? I am okay. I've got some sort of seasonal allergies that are making me cough and have a runny nose and all sorts. So I'll probably be muting throughout this call to cough and um, yeah. But I, I took some I took some allergy medicine. I'm only like 20 minutes out of bed at the moment, so right, it'll it'll right. take some time for everything to you yeah. know. You're always feel your worst in the morning, so I'll be okay. Yeah, quite the occupational hazard for a podcaster, I suppose, if you can't speak without without coughing. But we'll see how we go. Um, maybe this maybe this will make you feel better. I remember when we had John on, I brought some penguin biscuits and we had a, a great reception to the the, mm. the jokes. So I brought another one. I got some more today, and, and I've got another one for you. So so this can maybe jog your memory. Such a, an early day for you. Um, why do penguins stay in pairs? Why do penguins stay in pairs? Obviously meaning in twos. Why do penguins stay in pairs? It's a superb answer, to be fair. I don't know. I'm, I can't even think of anything remotely <laughs> close. Because freezer crowd. Because freezer crowd. Uh, that's the worst one of the bunch so far <laughs> when i first read it though it, it stumped me because i i read it as paris obviously pairs and paris are, are similar words and i was like freezer freezer is it a french word <laughs> i don't know <laughs> so um so yeah i mean the, the terrible absolutely terrible jokes um should we talk about some football then we in fact disclaimer we had planned to do this recording on sunday but somebody cough cough uh got the schedules mixed up and and they were at the portland Timbers game do you want to check everyone in on because because i know it's it's quite difficult to you, you selfish americans scheduling your matches at times when us europeans are asleep so it's quite difficult to keep up with mls all the times but what's going on in the world of of mls is it is it a good season so far for the timbers you're, you're obviously your your second team i don't know are they on parity with city is it second team is it first or is it just your team no no, I've been supporting City since the early 2000s. I've been supporting the Timbers since I got into MLS in 2016, something like that. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. there's there's two types of American soccer fans. There's the ones that are into European football and it gets them into MLS, and then there's the opposite of that. Uh, yeah. I was very much 
European football made me want to go out and support my local team. But you also have to keep in mind, like when I was born, MLS didn't exist yet. Yeah. So um, at times European football has been more accessible to Americans than our own local leagues. So, um, Mm. but no, they're, they're, they're not on par with city. Maybe they will be one day as I now I've been a season ticket holder and I'm going week in week out. Um, The Timbers won yesterday. They are in, the final playoff spot, the team that we are fighting the final over the final playoff spot with is LA Galaxy. They had a mm. chance to win last night with a 96th minute penalty, and Chicharito went for a Panenka, absolutely scuffed it, and it finished 2 2. So it was a wonderful night last night. <laughs> Silly United. Silly United rejects. Um, superb stuff. So, yeah, obviously, I, I know as much as. Portland Timbers were in the MLS Cup final last season, so you have to qualify for the playoffs to reach that. And and they beat NYCFC, obviously associated to City. And we'll use that as a nice segue no, onto. Did not, did not beat them. Oh, of course, Timbers yeah, lost. Sorry, yeah, they lost. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was confused then. Sorry, NYCFC <laughs> beat uh, the Timbers on penalties, much yes. to much to Adams. That's dismay. what oil money will get you. Yeah, yeah, those bloody oil oil clubs. Um, right, okay. So we'll talk about Manchester City Football Club, at least the men's club to start off with. Uh, like I say, we're meant to do it on Sunday, so it's a little bit behind. A few days after the game took place, so we'll we'll, we'll keep the analysis sort of brief and, and maybe talk about the the wider points and the wider talking points from the game. Um, I guess start off with then. Obviously, Aston Villa won, City won. More drop points for City, and unlike the Newcastle game, this is certainly drop points. City led and then gave away the lead. Um, but other than that, I think for me. Playing badly and taking points is always a plus, especially away from home. What were your talking points and your sort of your your thinking after full time at Villa Park? Um, I was frustrated. It felt like, you know, when you compare the two games in which City have dropped points this this season so far, Villa and Newcastle. Newcastle, I felt like we could have got completely overrun and potentially lost that game, and. Fighting back to 3-3 felt like a great result. Um, Whereas this Villa game, I felt like City probably could and should have won it. They had the chances to do that. Um, And I think Villa uh, scored with their only shot on target, um, which I think kind of just goes to show that City were far more controlled in this game and, and more solid than they were against Newcastle. But yeah, I think overall just kind of left with a sour taste in my mouth because I felt like City probably should have got all three points. But, you know, we, we talk about the early season teething problems that City normally has, and we expected kind of even more of those teething problems this year with such a, a revamped squad. Um, so I'm not too upset about it. Um, I was really, really, really frustrated for like an hour. But once that wore off and you kind of look at the bigger picture of the season, it's like, right, there's... 30 odd games left in the season. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's a game that for some teams hasn't been for city in the past, but for some teams can be a tough game on the road at Villa park. Um, so yeah, looking at the bigger picture, it's, it's kind of a nothing game. Was, was that an admission from you that Villa park is a tough place to go that those, those absolute ancient Villa supporters living in the 19th century, was that an actual admission that I suggested could be a problem for city? It, it came true, didn't it? I think the crowd I, won. Uh, I, the crowd I got agreed. Villa that point. Yeah, I agree. I don't know about the crowd got Villa that point. I agreed that there but would be jeopardy in the, the game. Players. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think that the start Aston Villa had made this game a lot more difficult for City to negotiate. Um, they needed a result. And I think Guardiola said pre-match actually that he'd, he'd like them to have been in a better p- position in terms of the table because it makes going there a, a little bit easy because then for Aston Villa it's somewhat of a free hit but but for them in that game potentially they were playing to sort of save the manager if that's something they want to do I don't know um what do you make of the suggestion that City were wasteful and I, and I actually think this was probably one of your first tweets after the full-time whistle so I kind of know where you're going to go here. Um, City had an XG of around 2.0 compared to Villa's. I think it was less than 0.3 or it was around that mark. Anyway, it was really low. And it's a game that City obviously could have and probably should have won. I'd have liked to have seen the XG 
taking out the the Kyle Walker chance and taking out the Riyad Mahrez chance because I think they were both offside but weren't given as offsides on the day. So I don't know sort of if you take them away if it's a little bit more balanced because they were they were big chances. Um, but I think above everything else, some of the hysteria uh, post game was obviously utter nonsense as we've become accustomed to. But but the wastefulness from City's players, apart from obviously the main man Erling Haaland, is probably the only criticism I have post game. Right. So when I tweeted that City were wasteful, <clears throat> more specifically what I meant was they were wasteful in their decision making not necessarily like the wasteful we've seen in the past in which they've had huge scoring chances and don't mm. take them yeah I think last or on Sunday it was or Saturday whenever the game was um it was more down to the fact that they would have you know a, a counterattack in which they have superior numbers and they make the wrong pass or mm. uh, a moment in which Maybe a winger should be shooting the ball and decides to try and force a square pass to Erling Holland, which that to me is maybe a, a something worth talking about because I felt that that was happening a bit during this game in which, yeah. you know, specifically Phil Foden had a couple of those opportunities in which he kind of gets played in down the wing and he he can kind of ping ball low shots into the you know far bottom corner. We've seen him do that numerous times. We saw it at Anfield last season. Mm. Um and he would try and force a ball into Erling Holland. And now is that a bit of uh, trauma from the first couple of games in which well, he yeah, didn't square yeah. it and he got a, bun- a bunch of stick? And, and now he's like, I've got to yeah. square it, I've got to square it. But I'm I'm not going to make jump to any conclusions. Um, but there was a few times in this game from the likes of Gundogan, um, Bernardo Silva, and Phil Foden especially, where I felt like, they had better options than Erling Holland, but because he's there, they felt that's the man I need to get mm. the ball to, and they forced it. It didn't work out, and Villa went the other way. So that that caused a bit of frustration for me. I'll pick up on that a little bit later on because we're going to have a chat about Phil Foden and, and some of the, the talk around his performances. So I'll park that for now. Another one of the takeaways a lot of people had, and, and this sort of buzzword, I suppose, so far this season, whenever City drop points or City play badly, is how the addition of Erling Haaland has lost control of the midfield essentially for City, and, and how they're not able to control games. That, that, that's the that's what the accusation is, um, at least. Against Aston Villa, City had 70% possession. They outpassed them by over 500 passes. Villa had 287. City had something like 750 plus. I can't remember the exact number. The argument is with Haaland in the team, City lose that extra body in midfield, which is true. But as for losing control of the game, I, I just don't I don't buy the argument at all because as the stats suggest, City had more than enough control. Aston Villa scored with an XG of 0.3, their only shot on target. It was defensive, um, it, w- it was a bit sluggish, it was a bit sleepish from City's defence, but, you know, a, a, a game like that, it's, you're probably going to give chances away. It wasn't a game for me, I looked at it and said, you know what, City don't have control of this game. The Newcastle one, at points, 100% City didn't have control of that game. Arsenal, in the majority of the second half against United at Old Trafford this weekend, they lost control of that game. City had control of the game, it was just a case of not being able to score, which, as our Lord and Saviour Guardiola said, sometimes happens, it's football. Yeah, no, I fully agree. I, n- I never for one moment in this Villa game felt like um, Villa were on top of City and, and City lost control in the game. They were fully, fully controlled and they created the moments to capitalize on the control. They didn't capitalize on those moments and um, it's the Premier League, teams can score out of nothing. Um and Villa went went the other way and equalized. And um, even after Villa equalized, City were fully in control. They didn't create as much. Villa sunk a bit deeper. Um, but the it's fair to say that City are going to lose some control because of Erling Holland coming into the team. And now you don't have you know somebody like Phil Foden or Bernardo Silva dropping into midfield from that central role. Um, but like you said, when you go and look at the stats and when you do the eye test, you know everyone. The, the older generation loves to shit on stats. We'll just go and watch rewatch the game. City were fully in control for probably 85 minutes of the 90. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And with the quality that City have, that's more than enough to run away with games. It just didn't happen. I think if if yesterday's game or Saturday's game was played 10 times, City win it nine times. And we just happened to see the one that didn't that City didn't win. And that's fine. It happens. We'll move yeah. on from it. And there will be much more difficult games on the horizon. And and like I said, if, if that's that game is played over many different times, City probably win most of them. Yeah, it was a uh, performance-wise. It's not something I'm looking at worried at all. I think City will play worse this season and and get three points and, and get three points quite comfortably. As you say, I, I had no fear City weren't in control of that game. Bar Ollie Watkins, sort of, uh, he, he had a chance in the first half. There was obviously that Edison uh, sweep that he had to make to to get the ball off Jacob Ramsey, and then obviously the goal and and the Coutinho non-goal, which we'll come on to in a later segment. They were the only sort of real time City lost the ball, and, and, and you know they were big chances, but that was literally it. There was no other time Aston Villa had sustained possession. Um, just on the topic of Haaland, then, and, and what are we six games in? Which, on that note, actually, a lot of hysteria, like I said, around City start to season and how it could have been better. This is actually the first time since 2018 19 City have gone the first six games of the campaign unbeaten. And we know City are slow starters. So if, if that sort of sticks to plan and City do peak in the autumn, winter months, then, you know, we'll be looking at this and going, wow, what a great start. It sets City up for a great season. Obviously, the caveat is if, if City don't go on and capitalise, it could be an issue. But on Haaland, we've had six games watching him now and, and we're definitely getting a, an idea for the system and the shape. There's a, there was a good discussion actually between Joel MCFC and Manai J on Twitter, who are two avid listeners. And I can't remember which way round it was, who was fighting whose corner, but there was essentially one side of the argument saying that City win the game at Villa Park without Haaland in the sense that they have done previously and, and the sort of, not necessarily criticising Haaland, but the, the, the sort of the chances City would have created and that's going back to sort of trying to force it into him at all points and, and you lose that creativity from out wide, etc. versus the fact that City lose the game with Haaland. And I guess it's hypotheticals. It was post-match, emotions were high. I'm sure if they went back and, and sort of discussed it again, it would be different. But I found it fascinating because for me, I think there's a number of times this season City, for one, are not unbeaten without Erling Haaland. I, I think we have lost a number of games. I'm thinking, does City come back against Crystal Palace? Probably not. Newcastle one's a bit weird. Maybe there was other players that could have, could have done it. But again, who knows? West Ham, going back to the first game of the season, City didn't create a lot and he scored two goals. So for me, I I, I think this this addition of this absolute machine of goal scoring has has saved City from a sort of a, a start to the season we've seen Liverpool have, where it's looking a little bit lacklustre. Yeah. So where do I fall on this? <clears throat> so one argument is City win without Holland. One argument is City lose without Holland. Um, I normally loathe arguments like this because football doesn't work that way in which um, you can't say, oh, if you take Erling Holland out of that game, you take his goal out and therefore City lose the game 1-0. It doesn't work that way. Um it, it 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 works in the same way as when we said that the idea of signing Erling Holland last summer or this this summer um, isn't as simple as just sticking him into the team that has been playing the last two years and every single chance that we've created in the last two years that City was wasteful with is now falling to Erling Holland and he scores mm-hmm. them. It doesn't work that way. Every action has a reaction. So if you take Erling Holland out of the game, the um, Run of play is completely different. Everything about the game is different. Um, but I, I absolutely, absolutely want to stay on the fence on this because I don't <laughs> like the argument. But what I will say is what I've already said. I was really frustrated by them forcing the ball to him. Mm. So perhaps there is another crazy world in which Erling Holland isn't there. There isn't the option to force the ball to him. City are a bit more methodical with their chance creation, and then maybe they win the game. I don't know. But, yeah, um, yeah that's probably where I sit on that, which is as as close to off of the fence on that one side as you can be yeah. with, while still being on the fence. 
Yeah, you've got you've got one foot sort of balancing off on the other side, but but yeah. no body on it. Yeah, I, it, it's hypotheticals. I mean, it's we're not we're never going to know. But I suppose one point that you speak about forcing the ball to him, which I I saw a few people picking up on it. I don't necessarily know if I agree. I, I think Rodri had a good chance. De Bruyne had a few chances. There's obviously that Mares one, and and there was enough chances throughout the team. And and Haaland had more than more than the one opportunity to score. But I, I thought there was enough chances across the, the the team to get another goal. But but one of the the main sort of figureheads in that was Phil Foden, and I think he's probably someone who's attracting a lot of attention, even when City win matches because his performances are assumed to not be up to level. I mean, he struggled against the 37-year-old Ashley Young, which wasn't great, a slight concern, of course. And But saying that, Ashley Young's job when he came on was to literally man-mark him out of the game. It wasn't like when you had Matty Cash there, who's somebody who likes to go forward. Ashley Young, I've not seen his heat map, but I'd be surprised if he spent more than 30 seconds in City's final third and if he was it was probably taking a free kick or a corner there was absolutely no attacking intent from Villa's left back so Foden was naturally isolated for me though on the wider picture it's a case of sort of diminishing returns for Foden because his his rise has been so meteoric every match he's played for the last 18 months or so he's essentially set new standards for himself and you go back to that first appearance in 2017-18 in the Carabao Cup here and there then obviously his first Premier League goal against Spurs and and just sort of from there it's been new new standards new standards new standards so this plateau I feel is almost natural in a sense because eventually his performances were going to level out it doesn't mean to say he's a bad player he's going backwards it's just that he's gone from going um absolutely rocketing up his performance wise and now it's just sort of steadying out so I'm at the moment it may change we may have this discussion in a few weeks and I, I flip but at the moment I find this uh, this sort of this feeling around Foden and, and the sort of wanting him to go to Ballon d'Or levels this season at what 22 years old a little bit over the top yeah and I didn't even realize that this was a conversation until I saw it in our running order for this episode and then I went and (laughs) I went and searched his name on Twitter and I found all sorts of people that were um upset shall we say about his early season performances I haven't noticed that at any point that I felt like he's maybe not been in a game or not been up to speed um in fact, when you go and um, when you go back and watch kind of all of the goals City have scored this season or the big chances that City have had this season, he's been at the heart of almost all of it. Mm. Um, so the only thing that maybe you could take away from that is that maybe his decision making or his kind of final execution in some of those situations has not been what we're used to with him. Um, but every player has you know, kind of barren patches. And um, I think he's still got a couple of assists and a goal maybe so far. And yeah, that's, yeah. you know, if, if that's your barren patch, then you can you think about other attackers that will go games and games and games and games without registering anything on the score sheet. And he's still fully involved in everything that City's doing. So mm. Phil Foden of the last 12 months was easily regarded as a top one or two players on, on the team sheet. Um, so three or four games in which maybe he is slightly off of the pace, even though I haven't seen that myself, um, is nothing to freak out about. Mm. Um, is this just a case of Twitter being Twitter again? Is is Are people going to the matches and, and watching him play week in, week out actually feeling this way? Or are we caught up mm. in a, a Twitter tornado? Yeah, a Twitter torn- a tornado. Wow. Um, yeah. One goal, two assists for Foden so far in six games. I mean, it's not blistering. It's not sort of play of the year levels, but, you know, six games, three goal contributions. It's it's a goal contribution every other game, which I think is... is I'd assume that's that's enough. the best for all of our wingers. I mean, Mares doesn't yeah, have that. Grealish no. doesn't have that. Bernardo Silva that's... possibly, but where do you put him? You know, he, he does what he wants. Right. Um, apart from getting new Birkenstocks, as, as uh, Scott Carson <laughs> uh, pointed out. Um, let's move on to some questions then to wrap up on Aston Villa. We'll start with this one from Aaron, who says, how do we fix the problem with our wingers? Um, I presume that means sort of 
up in their goal contributions, as you've just mentioned there, Foden, the only one so far to really get in on the at, is moving Cancelo further up and playing Gomez, uh, Gomez, Gomez at left-back, a viable solution. It, it's interesting because I think we've all said numerous times Cancelo is is absolutely not a full-back. He's, he's, a, he's a winger at heart and he's just playing in a full-back position. Be interesting to see if we do have this sort of free at the back theory come to come to light and, and City do start playing that where Cancelo is involved because he, he will no doubt be higher up the pitch. I can't imagine he'd be playing in a back three. So potentially down the line, he, we could start seeing him acting as a sort of um, <coughs> quasi winger. Let's put it that way. Um, this question, how do we fix the problem with our wingers? Uh, so that, that question suggests we have a problem with our wingers, which I don't buy into. Um, this was always going to happen when Erling Holland came into the team. The goals would not dry up for the wingers, um, but they would be the ones creating them, not scoring them. Whereas mm. if wingers didn't score goals in the last couple of seasons, then city didn't score goals. That's not the case anymore. Um, I thought Jack Grealish had a fantastic start to the season up until his injury. Um, I thought Phil Foden on the right worked really well. I, I still think that's probably the solution going forward is Phil Foden playing on the right and mm. being able to go. Um, he's left-footed, yeah. Being able yeah. to come inside and play. Now I know there's some you know worry about having two inverted wingers. Um but I think that that worked really well in the games we've seen it. Um, so I am not going to answer the question, how do we fix the problem with our wingers? Because I don't believe one exists. That's I'm going to be that uh, dickhead. Yeah, yeah. That, that was a very sort of like uh, early teenager, I'm not doing it sort of. But no, I, I guess I guess the, the question for me, if I'm, to, if I'm to try and fix the problem, you don't say it exists, I say... Possibly you could be looking at your wingers getting more assists. But but as you say, Jack Grealish has been out. We've not seen the best of him yet um, so far this season. Riyad Mahrez is possibly the one player in the squad at the moment I've got an, a, a real concern about. He's not looked up to standards, which is a, a bit confusing because I pre-season thought he'd be one of the, the standout players for City. Is there an issue with him linking up with Haaland? We'll have to wait and see, but even when he came on against Aston Villa, he looks a bit off it. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. We'll hold that thought. Grealish hasn't played properly. Sergio Gomez isn't integrated as, as uh, I was going to say, as quickly as we'd like. He's been here about two minutes, so he's, he's not going to be integrated anyway. But I think as, as he gets more minutes, we'll start to see um, the, the wingers unlocked a little bit more and, and a little bit more freedom. Going forward, um, next question then, last one before we move on. It's from Balogun and it says, I have concerns about Kyle Walker's ability to play on this team this season. He's sometimes felt out of place. Now, I'll add that was um, obviously at the start of the season, that was as an inverted fullback. Yeah, he 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 literally is out of place. That's (laughs) Yeah, he was out of place, yeah. Um, But against Aston Villa and against Bournemouth, it was much more of the conventional right back. Now, Bournemouth was essentially a non-event for him. He did fine. Aston Villa, now he's injured now, obviously, but for that Aston Villa game, for for however long he was on the pitch, it was a little bit of a tough watch and it wasn't the sort of Kyle Walker we'd, we'd become used to and sort of fell in love with. Is it the beginning of the end for Kyle Walker, do you think? Is it a case of get through this season and then next year City really explore that right-back market? Or is there a remontada somewhere along the line? Because he's, I remember when Ollie was on the show whilst you were away, we sort of debunked any issues. I can't remember what game it was. It must have been the Newcastle one. We said, no problem, one game, come back to us in three or four weeks. Now, down the line, it is sort of starting to look like he's, he's struggling a little bit. That was down to system. Now it's not. Now he's injured. I don't know where where you stand on that. I'm certainly not willing to label him as the kids say finished. Um, (laughs) This has been a constant theme with Kyle Walker. He does this probably once a season in which he has maybe a month to a month and a half of really poor performances. Mm. He's going to get dropped out of the team. Um, Here's my issue with this season. In years gone by, there has been competition for him, and that's usually been the kick up the ass that he needed. You think back to um, the 
2018-19 season in the the festive period. He was really bad in that game against Palace at home. Yeah. Uh, gets dropped for Danilo. Danilo comes in, plays really big games. He plays the Liverpool Liverpool at home. He plays Boxing Day fixture. I think it was against Leicester. Yeah, um, yeah. And Kyle Walker was out of the team for about a month, and Danilo played, and then he came back in, and he was absolutely sensational mm. after that. Um, the fear now is who is his competition? Does he have, is there anybody there for Pep to say, well, you're not playing, you're not up to scratch. That's fine because blank is here and will play up to scratch. Blank doesn't exist. Blank is mm. simply blank. So, um, if Cancelo maybe gets moved to the right or something, and and then maybe we see Gomez playing or or, or Ake playing at, at left back, but at the moment the issue is there's nobody to play for Kyle Walker. Mm, Kyle yeah. Walker is the only option. We I've been saying this for <clears throat> two years now that City have not been in need of a left back this whole time. They've been desperately in need of a right back ever since Danilo left and Cancelo has made himself the de facto left back. Um, but anyways, on on Kyle's performances. This happens if it persists throughout, you know, a ten-game stretch. Then I'm then I'm worried. But he does this every single season since he signed for the club. Mm-hmm. He will have a stretch of games in which he's off the pace. His decision making isn't very good. He's already not the best ball-playing defender in the team, so that doesn't help. That that that's the issue is when you've got players like. Bernardo Silva or or Phil Foden or somebody like that who's maybe not chipping in with goals. They provide other things for the team. Whereas with Kyle Walker, if, if his defending isn't up to scratch or his pace isn't up to scratch or whatever, there's nothing else that he provides. Yeah. Um, so he looks truly out of place in those situations. Um, but to cap that all off, I'm not worried about it yet. He wasn't great, um, but this is nothing new with him. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose it's just kicking the can further down the road in terms of answering that. We've done it once already on this show. I'm sure it'll be a recurring theme. It depends how long he's out for, because to sort of reiterate, he did go off injured and, and isn't in the, the squad to go I to guess, the Champions I guess blankety-blank-blank is playing. Yeah, yeah. well, you, when you said blank, his I, I was thinking... Do you mean Laurent Blanc? Like, when did City sign this sort of, <laughs> this, this grey fifty-year-old uh, former centre half? And I was thinking, I must have missed that one. But yeah, and it's not Laurent Blanc. It's just it's uh, Mr. Blankety Blank, the new um, South American protege from I don't know uh, Atletico Mineiro. Um, right? Should we do Champions League talk then? What are we half an hour in? We, we've got plenty to say about that. Um, before we do anything else to add from the Villa game, I guess I'll round off by saying City played badly in terms of their lofty standards, but they didn't lose. And for me, that's all that kind of matters when you play badly. Um, yeah, the, f- the final thing I'd have to say is a message to all of our, uh, and I'll put fans in quotation marks here, the the spoiled brat, the spoiled brat brigade, as I have named them this past the weekend. SBB. In fact, you know what? I Yeah, the SBB. I might even start a list on on uh, Twitter and every single time somebody has a, a, a tweet worthy of being in the SBB, I'll add them to the list. So at least they get a little message that, that they see me calling them a spoiled brat. Um, City have gone unbeaten through, what are we, six games in? Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're second in the league. Well, here's something that angers me. Anytime we sign a new player like Jack Grealish or Julian Alvarez or Erling Holland, whoever it is, and people say, oh, this might not work, City fans online will just jump down that person's throat and say, have you not watched the last four or five years? Have you not learned anything? This player needs this amount of time to bet in. Every single player needs one season to bet in. Well, have you not watched anything the last four or five years in which cities start a little bit slow? They kick on in the winter or the fall in the winter. They run away with the league and then that's it. It's, it is September 4th. Take yeah. a deep fucking breath. Everything will be okay. City are unbeaten and second place in the best league in the world. Everything will be okay. That was great, apart from the fact the day we're recording is actually September the 5th. So, uh, 
that's that's a great that, that was so super. all right let's rewind <laughs> let me do the entire rant again yeah yeah when, when you mentioned that you're going to start a list of the of the sbb it was making me think of like you, you turn into joseph mccarthy with his sort of these communism trials you're just going to have this like this list of uh of sort of dissenting voices within the city fandom and i mean yeah it's getting a little bit like getting a little bit red scare there um right okay champions league it returns of course this week um i wish we were saying this in real life but let's take a trip to seville sunny seville because that's where city are next in action what i will say to start off with shame on uefa for scheduling this as the first away game of the champions league season because it has been i've scoured the the flights and it's just i mean credit to those who will be going out there but i'm, I'm intrigued to see what routes people are doing because there, there was nothing direct to Seville for under the price of a, a house. And I'm saying that prices of houses in the UK are sort of like at an all time high. So there's nothing in the uh, available for less than the price of a, a one bedroom flat in London. Um, but what's worse, I think there's a direct route between Manchester and Seville, starting with uh, another airline in the autumn for like 40 quid returns and stuff like that, which is such a shame because that is a city that is designed for football. Maybe not the heat, but you know. Well, I mean, I've got options. I've got um, a 21-hour flight for $3,000. I've got a 16-hour flight for $1,200. And as we spoke about on last week, I am um, very rich because I am a freelance football journalist. So this is not an issue for me. Yeah, yeah, you know, us two, the absolute uh, beacons of financial uh, security in society. Um, Right, okay. Football, football, football. Um, Sevilla haven't had a great start to the Liga season at all. They took an absolute pounding by Barcelona at the weekend, and it just continued to be an, a sort of a winless start to the La Liga campaign for them. They sit just above the relegation zone, and the signs aren't great for Julian Lopetegui. Um, now that could go one of two ways, as we saw against Aston Villa. City could continue their misery piling on Tuesday and win quite comfortably. Or the break from league action rejuvenates them and Sevilla put up a challenge. How do you sort of see this one playing out? Um, I'm really interested to see how it plays out because I think City are going to have probably a new look starting 11 that we've, we haven't seen this season. You know, there hasn't been that much rotation. We saw mm. a little bit of rotation against Palace and seeing, um, was it Palace? Who did City beat up on last week? Uh, Forest, Forest. Um, you know, we saw Alvarez come in and, and things like that. Um, I think we're going to see because of the injuries. I think no Kyle Walker, no John Stones in the squad. Um, so we're going to see probably a new back four that we haven't seen yet this season. Mm-hmm. Um, will we see Grealish back in the team? Does Mares get get in the team to try and kind of kickstart his season, which would be a huge boost to City if he could start producing anywhere close to the numbers that he did last season. Um, so it'll be interesting. Sevilla are not the Sevilla of the last few years. Um, mm. You know, against Barcelona, City legend Fernando was playing at center half, um, <laughs> along with Tangi Nianzu, who's the, the 20-year-old that they've yeah. signed, because obviously they, they sold their two starting center backs last season in, in Jules Kounde and Roberto Carlos. Um, so they've Roberto. got a completely new... Roberto Carlos. That's what I said. What did Diego I say? Carlos. Oh, he said Roberto Carlos, the, the famous gonna have Brazilian. To, you, I've been I've been awake less than an hour. You're gonna have to cut <laughs> me some slack. Thank thank God Roberto Carlos is not playing for them. It'd be bad if he was. You know, quickly he, yeah. he played a game for an English non-league side last year as part of a, I think it was a betting I, company. I s- can't remember. Yeah, but I like watched a, a, a live of stream of somebody yeah. like uh, at the pub. It wasn't even yeah, a game. Literally. I watched a live stream of them just at a pub. <laughs> yeah, he's not playing, or at least I hope not. It, uh, Diego Carlos. So anyways, Diego, they yeah. they have had a rough, and I mean rough, start to the season. So it could and should be a game for City to get back in the win mm-hmm. column and maybe get a couple of players some minutes in their legs that they need, like Grealish. I think Phillips is in the squad. I would love to see Phillips oh, yeah. get some, yeah. some good minutes. Um, I think he is a huge X factor in his – 
fitness and his kind of ability to get up to speed in this team unlocks so many different systems for City to be able to play. They can play with two holding midfielders. They they could potentially play a back three with, you know, him kind of as a half midfielder, half center back. Something, you know, he he opens up a lot of tactical doors. So I'd love to see him to really get his city career underway. Um but I think because of the rotation, it kind of leaves some question marks on how the team will play. And um, I think if we had just flat out run out the team that started against Villa, I think we could steamroll Sevilla. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think that's going to happen because I think there's going to be a pretty healthy rotation. And that, to me, is pretty exciting. Early in the season, the rotation is really exciting because you want to see players get in and get some more minutes in their legs. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll chat about the Champions League in general um, shortly. But one of the things I find most interesting about the the early stages is seeing those new players that don't usually get minutes in the Premier League. We are getting to that point now where rotation is is necessary, not just an option. Um, I'd love to see Calvin Phillips play to pick up on that, but I'm not sure handing um, a first start to a lad who was born in, in Leeds, West Yorkshire, in 35-degree heat may be the best idea. Yeah. I think he could he could possibly struggle in the in the Mediterranean heat. Um, but yeah, as for you mentioned some of the Sevilla players there. I was looking at the squad list, and it's, it's intriguing because um, Sevilla are a side who, for those who don't know, in the last two seasons at points, not sort of sustained, but, but definitely at points, have been tipped as outsiders to challenge for the league title it's obviously never sustained itself and I think they're what I don't think they've won a league title since the 50s you know they're not this massively successful club in Spain despite the recent history in, in like the Europa League for example but they're really shrewd in the business in the way they recruit and I don't necessarily in the mean in, in the way like someone like Brushy Dortmund for example who buy players really young from from academies at like elite level European clubs and then sell them off Sevilla are pretty content on buying castaways. And again, I don't mean those that have just dropped out of, like, uh, I know they've signed someone from Bayern Munich this summer, but usually it isn't the case of signing people from Bayern, Barca, Real, etc. They go to teams, like, even below them in the sort of pecking order who haven't been getting minutes, and they give them um, they give them big contracts or give them starting positions and they build a team around them. Like this summer, for example, they've brought in Kasper Dolberg from Nice, who, who's a, a nice talent, but his career stalled a little bit last season. Adnan Yanazai from Real Sociedad and, and Marçal, a 26-year-old defender from Galatasaray. They've got a really strange amalgamation of, of players in their squad, but usually they're competing at the right end of whatever competition they're in. Obviously, that's changed this summer, but... They're a really intriguing opponent in City's group, I feel. Yeah, they are. And um, their director of football, I believe, is his title. Monchi is kind of, you know, yeah. one of the most highly touted directors of footballs and, and just, you know, men or women, women out there that is able to build a football team. It doesn't get much better than Monchi. Mm. Um, however, with that transfer policy in which you kind of pick and choose your deals from players that aren't fitting in other in other places and, and things like that. Um, every, once in, every once in a while, a cycle comes around in which it doesn't work out. Mm. Um, that seems to be coinciding in which, at a time in which things are going stale with Lopetegui. Um, there's a bit of age in the squad. So they aren't great. Uh, it, City are lucky to have drawn this Sevilla team and maybe not Sevilla of 2019 or mm. 2020. Um, so of the two teams that we're looking at as maybe to be fighting over uh, um, getting out of this group with in, in Borussia Dortmund and Sevilla, Sevilla are definitely the one I'm less worried about. Um, but with that being said, they do have quality in the squad and if they, you know, put a game together like teams tend to do against city. Let's be honest. Um, <laughs> if they put a game together, then, then they can easily threaten city, especially a rotated city side. Yeah. I mean, to link it to, to the other team in city's group, of course, Brushy Dortmund, they feel a little bit like Brushy Dortmund of, of six, seven years ago when they obviously had the 2012, 13 champions league final and, and a couple of league wins under Jurgen Klopp as well. And they sort of abandoned that, buy young, sell high mentality. And I'm just looking at their squad list from 2016-17. People like Paco Alcacer, Emre Moore, Mikel Moreno, um, uh, who else is in there? 
Andre Schiller, you know, players who have, have sort of a little bit past it. And that's certainly what their squad looks like at the moment, despite how, how you mentioned their Monchi's sort of shrewd way of going about business. Just a couple more names, because there's, there's quite a few City links within their squad. Obviously, you mentioned Fernando, formerly of the Manchester City midfield, but you've also got defender Karim Rakik in there as well, who was probably one of the first real academy prospects going all the way back to sort of like 2012. I think he was sort of just knocking on the door then, obviously never happened for him. And then, of course, Jesus Navas, everybody's favourite right winger from the, the sort of early 2010s. I think there's that superb video of, um, I think it's West Ham at home in the 2015-16 season, I want to say, where he puts a cross in and the family stand, obviously notorious for its sort of placid reactions to matches at the Etihad Stadium, erupts in this sort of this this uh, volcanic wave of hatred towards Hazus Navas because it's a typical Navas cross probably searching for Wilfred Boney or someone like that. Um, but it'll be really interesting to come up against these players who sort of left City, what, five, six years ago, and they're still knocking about at a quote-unquote top European club. I was obsessed with Jesus Navas when we signed him. I remember we, wow. <clears throat> we signed him in the summer, and he played, I guess it would have been the 2014 World Cup probably, uh, yeah. um, for Spain. And he was just electric in that World Cup. And I thought, my word, we've signed the next Messi here. <laughs> and then his his City career didn't pan out in the way no, we all thought. But no. I will for, forever, one of, the, one of the great City games of my memory. Um, I think I want to say it was maybe like 6-2 at home to Tottenham in which he scored within oh, like yeah. 30 seconds 30 and then seconds, he jumped like he jumped over the uh the corner flag. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't know why that's just it, it was kind of a run of the mill game. I mean it was a is a high scoring game, but it wasn't yeah. anything special. Um but I loved that moment. Um and I'll always love him for that. I I am maybe in the minority here, but I look back fondly on his time at City because <laughs> It was either the outcome of his performances were either hilarious yeah. or really good. And there was yeah. no in between. Um, hilariously bad, unfortunately, but still hilarious. And looking back on it and the fact that City were still winning titles and stuff, it, it's kind of okay. Um, but I'd love to go watch a compilation of him banging crosses into defenders' shins because mm. that was <laughs> iconic. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It was Tottenham. Uh, it was that sort of time, 2013, 14, when City would just sort of put in six past every team. And um, a time we'll, we'll obviously preview the Spurs game later on in the week, but a time before that Spurs curse existed, City had the number for a, for quite a few years. Um, quickly, is, is playing, a, playing a four four two with with <laughs> two actual strikers and Fernandinho yeah, pushing yeah. forward from midfield. I mean, yeah. what an absolute time. Yeah, Fernandinho, yeah, yeah, Torre, double pivot. Um, is is Jesus Navas then sort of going on his city, city legacy? Is he the best looking player to play for City in recent years? Because no, no, no. Do you not think? Do you not? I just think he's got piercing eyes that could could get anyone. Yeah. No, the, there's some handsome players at City. Ruben Diaz, um, John Stones. I'll tell you what, Laura and I. Have had the conversation. We've had the conversation. <laughs> how would we do if John Stones accosted us? How would we deal with the situ- situation? And it was a unanimous let him into our life. So, um, <laughs> so that's so weird because obviously you're you don't live in the UK, but for me, I think there's about 150 John Stones that you see in, in everyday life. He's not like as far as an English lad goes. He's like the run of the mill sort of thing. That's 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 eye opening. Well, I wish I wish you looked like John John Stones. It would make these <laughs> calls a lot nicer. <laughs> I wish I wish you were the run of the mill English lad then. Touche, touche. Um, right, okay. As for City, then it's it's yet another start to the Champions League group stage without that elusive trophy in the cabinet. Adam, we've all been here before, sitting at the start of <sighs> the season, thinking this is the year City are finally crowned European champions. What has to go differently for City this season if they're to have a real chance in the competition? City, to win the Champions League, have to 
God, I don't even know because I feel like we've lost in every way possible. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it feels that way. And to for full transparency, I was reading the rundown to this episode at halftime of the Timbers game in the supporter section yesterday after a few beers, and I don't think I scrolled this far ahead. So <sighs> I'm I'm absolutely winging this on the spot. Um, <laughs> I guess when you go and look back at what happened last season in the Real Madrid game, there's a number of factors. One, not taking their opportunities to kill the game. Um, I think that in the Premier League, it's it's been easy for City to have a 1-0 lead and say, okay, we're going to pass the ball around in a circle now and mm-hmm. run out easy winners. Um, whereas... The Champions League is just far more erratic, as we saw, and teams play with a desperation that you don't get in league games. And I don't think City have ever been able to meet that level of desperation um, or that that level of urgency. I think when teams play with that urgency against them, City don't match that level. You go back to um, Anfield in 2017-18. You go back to Tottenham at home in the 2018-19 season. Uh, even potentially like the Leon game, I think teams play with a, a sense of urgency that City don't don't match, and City have been drilled into them to by Pep Guardiola. And I'm not blaming Pep for these results, but it's been drilled into City to their like um, emotions in a game are completely flat, completely mm-hmm. flat, and they never they never go up and down. They don't deal with situations. They don't have emotional reactions to situations. Whereas I think. That's totally necessary in this situation. I think when the first goal against Madrid goes in, I think a much bigger reaction was needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's what I'll say City need to do to win the Champions League is they need to understand the emotions and the chaotic energy levels of a Champions League tie and be able to match them because I think they try to they try to stay even keeled through everything. And there are teams good enough that if you are even keeled and that team is one energy level higher than you, they'll they'll beat you. Um, so that's my made up on the spot answer. It's interesting, obviously, like you say, you know, there wasn't a lot of preparation going into your answer, which is which is fine. But the Tottenham game in 2018-19 was the one I thought, looking back, City it's the only time City have actually properly matched the intensity of a squad. And even then, City still couldn't progress. Spurs for that for that game. I mean, it's a goal that doesn't stand in the season following because it's a handball from Lorente. But even then, City couldn't find a way through. And it was after the Real Madrid game, after the dust had settled, I wrote a piece, essentially what City have to do to win the Champions League, as you've just said, is embrace the chaos. Real Madrid are not the best football club in Europe, or at least they weren't last season. They were not the best football team in Europe. You could make a case for PSG being better. You could certainly make a case for Chelsea being better. And, and I mean, the stats suggest both City and Liverpool were better than them on the games they played. Um, but they embraced the chaos. They found a way, whether that was through resilient defending, whether it was through a little bit of luck, whether that was through a, a, a marksman in Benzema, who's probably going to go on to win the Ballon d'Or. It just has to be. Uh, the, the the perfect, perfect run of the mill. Everything has to go your way to win the Champions League. And that's why I think someone like Guardiola has, let's call a spade a spade, struggled in this competition. What is it? No Champions League win since 2011. For a man of his managerial qualities, that's disappointing, I suppose. But it's because you cannot control the the the, the tangibles in Champions League football. You cannot control losing two goals in, what was it, five minutes at the Bernabeu because that stuff happens. It's a competition. It's the only competition in possibly sport. I think I can't, I don't really think I know of a sport where such um, chaos reigns supreme. And I I guess for me, the conversation around sitting in the Champions League is becoming a little bit boring, not because of me sort of not believing City can do it, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't necessarily want City, this sounds crazy, but I don't necessarily want City to win the the Champions League for the glory of it. I more want it to happen to end the monotonous discussions around City's inabilities to win it because I feel like City as a footballing institution purely on the pitch aren't being respected nearly enough as they would have been had the Champions League title already arrived. I completely agree. And that's um, a ridiculous argument to make because winning the Champions League is um, 
far easier than winning most domestic leagues in uh, Europe. I'm gonna. Yeah. I don't think that's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think that's a super hot take. It's the same as you know the NFL uh, teams in the NFL will. There's 16 games. Teams will win 16 games in the regular season, and they'll lose in the playoffs, and they'll be forgotten about. But it was quite clear that that team was the best team in the NFL that season. Um, winning a few games over a few-week period doesn't make you the best team in Europe. So it's not as if – I think there's plenty of seasons in which City was far and away the best team in Europe and for whatever reason didn't have uh, a good day out in the Champions League and um, – aren't remembered as the best team in Europe from that period because mm-hmm. Real Madrid will be or, or Liverpool in 2018, 19, whatever. Um, but yeah, you're spot on that they have to embrace the chaos. I think when you look at the squad this season, there is a bit more room for tactical flexibility than in years past. Um, you have the ability to play a back three. You have the ability mm-hmm. to play two strikers. You have the ability to play... Um, four midfielders like we saw against Villa. You have the ability to play a false nine if you want that. Um, So I think that's going to help a lot because I think one thing we know about Pep Guardiola through all of his years at City is his philosophy is if plan A doesn't work, make plan A work. You know, there's no no plan B. Um, But I think now if he's willing to, to open his mind to plan B's and plan C's, then there are other options for City to win games. You go and you look back at that Real Madrid game and would it have helped to have, you know, uh, another keeping in mind that game was without Ruben Diaz, Kyle Walker for the last 15 minutes and John Stones, I believe. Kyle Walker for the full. So was it, was it, yeah, was it, what was it the was center back pairing in that game? I, I Ake and Laporte, maybe. Yeah. It, it it was it was patched up. It, that, that, I think that's I can't remember the exact uh, players. I think yeah. Walker went off in the first leg, so it was a completely mashed up back line. Yeah. Um, so point being, I think there's more room for tactical flexibility. That's only going to be a positive in the Champions League. Um, now. Do I think City are going to win the Champions League? I think I'm too traumatized to ever predict them winning the Champions League. Yeah, and yeah. I won't even say traumatized because most of our Champions League exits, I'm over in like 48 hours. Whereas, had we lost, had we not come from behind and beat Villa in May we last, be doing the, we, we, we in wouldn't May, be doing this no. podcast anymore. We, we, we'd have, we'd no. have packed it in. Yeah, I'd be yeah. living in the woods in Oregon somewhere at this point, <laughs> especially because of who would have been the champions for the next 12 months. Yeah, um, and who would have made so, them the champions as well? Yeah. Yes, right. But we'd um, have to worry about that. No. So, anyways, um, City have the ability to win the Champions League as they always have. They have the quality. They have the. Um, control in games. They have the tactical um, options now, but they are uh, probably going to lose in a semifinal on a fluke deflected goal. Yeah, that's how that's how it goes. We've seen that movie before. I, I think I'll, I'll wrap up and I won't add any context to this suggestion, but I actually think City won't win the Champions League under Guardiola. It will happen, but I don't think it will be under Guardiola purely because you know you've got the perfect squad and it's not a, it's an imperfect competition. And I think that's how it usually goes um before we wrap then just to pick up on the last episode on your on your sort of the hill you died on the huff and woof and whatnot um Andy Rag <laughs> sent us a question on the back of that he, he said you know loves the podcast keep it up blah 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 um but he asked will you ask Adam how he'd say hoof or huff like on the foot of a horse spelt like woof but sounds different it's hoof slash huff football every time for Liverpool. Now, Adam, how would you say the part of a bottom of a horse's foot? Uh, a hoof. And that will do, guys. I've been Amos Murphy. <laughs> I have been Adam Booker. This has been the City Report Podcast. And until next time, see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. 
By using Mick Delivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order Mick Delivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by fans.